Well, good evening. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you here tonight. Appreciate you making it out. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we were kind of running out of time and going very quickly at the end of our hour last week, uh, getting to the end of Philematology and looking ahead to the next section. And uh, I was asked, and I agreed, that it would be useful if we slowed down and kind of recovered some of the material that we didn't quite exactly get to last week so that we make sure we're solid on uh, the, the last details there on thelematology. So after, after I pray, we'll, uh, we'll go back to that section and uh, work our way through those particular points. But before we do, let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure we are filled with the Holy Spirit and that we are humble under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you tonight thankful for your truth, for the blessing we have as your children to study, to show ourselves approved before your face, workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We ask for your faithfulness once again this evening through the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit to lead us in these things. I thank you, Father, for again, for the grace that makes tonight possible. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right kind of fun to uh, have basics this hour and then have intermediates or advanced next hour uh, because we're really touching upon similar topics when it comes right down to it. Uh, We still have, after thelematology, uh, we have coming up agonology or the struggle, the the conflict that we have against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Then we'll have boolology or the plan, the plan of God coming up. And then after that, ecclesiology and chrismatology, that is the doctrine of the church and the doctrine of spiritual gifts, all right? And all of those are included within basic doctrinal studies because I think a brand new believer just saved this morning needs to understand every single one of these categories, including uh, the struggle they find themselves in now, the warfare that rages all about them, and how to operate in a local church. And that's the provision God has made for us to survive in the intensified stage of the angelic conflict what is otherwise referred to as the church age. So those are all the basic doctrinal studies as we're working our way through. Next hour, by the way, in the 7.30 hour, the PMW classes that we just resumed last week, we had a whole summer off, but returning now back to our seminary classes, uh, we're teaching on a more intermediate and advanced level that final category there related to spiritual gifts and expanding it not only to cover the giftedness but also the ministries and the effects, gifts, ministries, and effects. And so going into a, a deeper level there, then uh, certainly then we're going to do this hour. But it is neat to see how the two evening uh, services uh, dovetail that way. All right, um, as we were talking about thelema, thelema is the Greek word for will or desire, that God has desires and we have desires and we need to subordinate our desires to his desires. If we fail to do so, then we're carnal, we're out of his will. Um, And we find that there are some general principles to be applied, like our military general orders. And these are true all day, every day, uh, regardless of the specific applications of the will of God. And and, and I try to slow things down with, with people um, especially if they're not well trained in, in these things, uh, that they want to approach the Bible as if it's a Ouija board, or they want to approach Christianity as if it's just some kind of a magical way to find answers in life and, and have happiness. Um, 
the, the, the principles of discerning the will of God are indeed to be found in the Scriptures. And through practice and training, you can develop it in, in, in extraordinary degrees, and we all should. But we don't want to put the cart before the horse or try to think that these, these specific questions um, are somehow more important than the overall aspect of walking in His will. All right, because that's really where we should be centered all day, every day. All right, and that's the to me that's the the beauty of the Christian way of life. When you have a consistent walk in fellowship, a consistent walk in His will, then other things can come and go. You know, crisis moments can arise or what have you. Crunch time decisions may indeed present themselves, but you take them in stride. You handle them as a matter of course. You you don't panic or all of a sudden decide, man, I got to have a I got to have a prayer life. All of a sudden, I haven't had a prayer life in twenty years, but I need one now. Uh, um, no, that's not, that's not how it should work. All right, we should have a consistent walk with the Lord all day, every day, so that in these specific events, we just take it in stride without without missing a beat. And so we can start on a basic level then and summarize the will of God for everybody. First of all, get saved, <laughs> because God desires for all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires for none to perish. And so step number one. Uh, if you want to be in God's will for your life, you've got to be a believer. Let's start with that. Because uh, if you're not saved, then none of the rest of this is, is worth even talking about. We've got to get salvation down first. Uh, and then the second imperative that we have is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't stop. Don't be content with salvation alone. And that, that breaks my heart too. Is, and my, my parents came out of this. Um, this was their history in the, in the early 1970s attending a, uh, a Baptist church and they, uh, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, the preaching was all about how to get saved. And, and you know, you hear enough of that and you, you, you want more. And you start wondering, well, what else is there? I mean, I am saved. Uh, can, we, can we learn something else besides that? Can we grow? And I think what it was was they were starving and didn't know how to put it into words, didn't know that they were starving and didn't realize that there's so much to learn once you are saved and a whole Christian walk in front of you. So growing in grace and knowledge, if you're not growing, well, then that's going to be huge. That's going to be a massive obstacle to, to discerning the will of God. It's, it's the will of God for you to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's the will of God for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're going to get those out of the way. Also, just as an overarching principle, um, we're called to glorify Jesus Christ with every thought, word, and deed. Whatever you do, do is unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do for the glory of Jesus Christ. And um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This becomes a great rule of thumb. This becomes, like I say, just a matter of course, all day, every day. And you just cycle it through your thinking. If, if uh, you're considering a, a decision or you're considering a, any, any life change or a move or anything of that nature, uh, are you considering the glory of Jesus Christ into your considerations? Uh, is, this, is this something that contributes to His glory, or is it to his, the detriment of His glory? Likewise to uh, Colossians 3.17 and uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, we should be focused on glorifying Jesus Christ because that's what the Father's doing. From Alpha to Omega and every moment of time in between, it's the Father's plan to magnify His Son. 
And so if we're not on board with that plan, then, you know, we're going to have other issues. We're going to have other problems and struggles in discerning the will of God on a particular application. Likewise, edifying fellow believers. Uh, All is lawful, but not all is profitable. All is lawful, but not everything edifies. And another good rule of thumb is, uh, is what I'm engaged in, does it edify? Does it build up the body of Christ? And if not, why am I doing it? So we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Uh, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. Both of those are out of Romans. Um, The definition of profitability in 1 Corinthians 10.23. All is lawful, but not all things are profitable. All is lawful, but not all things edify. And that gives us our definition right there for profitability. Well, what is it that is profitable? When you're building up your brothers and sisters in their faith, that's profitable. And you are laying up treasures in heaven as you edify your brothers and your sisters. That's very clear in uh, uh, not only this text, but back in chapter 4 when we first encounter, or chapter 3 when we first encounter the, the gold, silver, precious stones and the wood, hay, stubble. It's about what we put into our brothers and what we put into our sisters that gets uh, evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.26 and Ephesians 4 would also go with this principle as well. Let all things be done for edification to the building up of the body of Christ. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So we should be all day, every day, uh, oriented towards what is it that builds up our brothers and our sisters. All right, and that becomes, I think, a, a foundational principle here for the will of God on a consistent basis to be walking in the will of God. Operate within the flock of a local assembly. Another key factor, if you're, uh, because it's within the, the the confines of a local church, is within the parameters of of the jurisdiction that we are commanded to operate in. That everything else falls into place. All of our blessings, all of our comfort, all of our encouragement, all of our mutual uh, bearing of one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ, it all happens within the flock of the local assembly. Where where have I been assigned? To whom have I been uh, uh, allotted in the uh, allotment of of, uh, pastor teachers we saw this morning? And so uh, it comes down to this aspect of edification and operating within the flock of a local assembly. And this is how we apply these one another imperatives. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. All right, is is the scope of that text every Christian on the planet? The entire body of Christ, the church universal? Or is it specifically referencing a small set of the church universal in a locality, in a local church, in a flock, whereby that mutual edification takes place? That's what we understand in uh, every text of the New Testament. 1 Peter 4, verses 7, 11, 7 through 11 as well. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Again, is that every regenerate human on the planet, or is that a subset of, of the church universal, like the local church application as we have it in the New Testament? Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each has received a special gift, and this is what we'll talk about with gifts, ministries, and effects next hour. 
Why has he given you a gift? It's for the edification of the saints. You employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And it's uh, it's a blessing to see how these things unfold. And then the very commonly preached Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. All right? But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We should operate within the boundaries of a local assembly. And, and, and so those who don't, those that are just living a flagrant life in violation of, of the text of the Word of God, they're going to have other struggles as well and, and other uh, limitations and, 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 and sin issues that are going to keep them from knowing the will of God for their life. If, if you can't put first things first, how are you going to get to those second things in, uh, in so many different applications? And then, uh, whoops, did it again. Prove or demonstrate the will of God as a living sacrifice on a daily basis. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And I think that goes well with operating within a local assembly, assuming, of course, that your local assembly is involved in teaching the Word of God. All right? And so thereby, as the Word of God is taught, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? And um, that should go without saying, but I think... More and more these days, um, it, it probably needs to be said because I think there's, uh, from what I've been told, I don't visit a lot of churches, but uh, the the uh, there's a there's a real dearth of, of teaching that uh, seems the bulk of things are spent on um, music or entertainment or or just convincing everybody that they're okay in in a moralistic therapeutic deism kind of a thing. And you're a good person, you're in church, that's great. Give us some money and, and have a nice week. Um, <laughs> all right, maybe it's oversimplification. But the, the fact is, if you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind, what's the consequence? You're conformed to this world, conformed to this age. And practically speaking, practically speaking now, you can't tell a wit's worth of difference between the, uh, a believer and an unbeliever on, on that basis. That a, a born-again believer who's conformed to this world is just as worldly as an unbeliever. Because they're, they're conformed to this world. And they're still going to die and go to heaven, but while they're here, they're as worldly as the unbelievers are. Because they're not being renewed in the spirit of their mind. That requires the Word of God to be at work there. So on that basis then, Romans 12.2 says, you may prove what the will of God is, that is, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We not only know the will of God, but we're proving the will of God. We're demonstrating the will of God. And that's the thing. The the uh, to me, a lot of times when someone comes to me and, and they're expressing this anguish and this agony about, well, how do I choose this or how do I choose that? And, and, and it's, it's interesting to me um, because so much of it is just self-evident, obvious, no-brainer. But they don't want to admit what the real answer is. And so well, they want to hear it from me or they want to hear it from somebody else or or maybe they're just holding out hope that I'm going to tell them that they're okay for their sin and what they're doing. It's not going to happen, all right? Um, the will of God is not a mystery or not a puzzle uh, if you're following those six steps. If you have a consistent walk in the, in the truth in a local church, if you're growing, uh, it, it becomes self-evident. It becomes a matter of course in, uh, in so many different ways. We'll talk about that as well as we discuss these basic methods, all right? I think one illustration as before I move to this next section, um, and not to pick on the guy, I may never see him again, 
But uh, I had a cable man in my house a couple weeks ago, or a while back, three weeks maybe. And um, he was working on my internet and fixing my modem and things. And, and as he was in my office, he's looking around and there's books everywhere, right? And they're, they're theology books, Christian books. And, and so he's looking around and he's, he's saying, what are you, some kind of pastor? <laughs> and and I just, it just made me laugh. It was hilarious to me because it, it echoed a, a famous question I asked my wife back in the days when we, on our very first date. Um, but that's a different story. I'll let that go for tonight. The, uh, wow. But it made me laugh because the way he phrased it was, what are you, some kind of pastor? And so I just tongue-in-cheek kind of laughed, and I said, well, yeah, some kind of pastor. Um, you know, and, and then he had some questions, and he said, well, do you do any premarital counseling? And uh, I said, well, okay, well, are you getting married? Is you know something we can talk about? And um, anyway, I come to find out, yes, he's engaged to be married, um, but she's not saved, all right? She's not a believer, and she has no interest in, in the Lord or in spiritual things. And, and clearly, he was having these conversations with her, and, um, and, and he, I don't think he enjoyed the conversation that he had with me in, in, in my office um, because I said, well, you know, Scripture says don't be unequally yoked. You know, Scripture says do not be bound unequally with an unbeliever. And, and you know, I mean, marriage is hard enough anyway. Why, why are you going to compound things and by defying the will of God right from the very beginning? And uh, aspects there. And so I think by the time the entire conversation was over, he had come back to, and, and I had no question he was saved, and he had, he had from his childhood, he had um, some Bible verses and some things from a brethren ministry, and, and, and no question on that. And so what I'm really thankful for is, is that by the end of the conversation, as much as he didn't want to hear it, he knew that what he was hearing was, was the truth. And, and that's what it comes right down to. So when you want to know the will of God, if you're humble enough to want to know the will of God, then you'll know it when you hear it. And you'll know it as the Word speaks to you. It's going to be the power of the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit will, will put that on your heart. And, and there, won't be any, uh, there won't be any questions in your mind. All right. And, and to me, that's a beautiful thing. I love the assurance that we have through that as the Holy Spirit communicates to our human spirit that we are children of God. There's just such a, such a, uh, a peace that you and I can have in, in these regards. So um, who knows? I mean, maybe he'll come and visit. I, get, I left him with a card, or he left me. When he left my house, I gave him my card and invited him to come and visit Austin Bible Church sometime. So who knows? It, it, it may happen. But... Um, Anyway, the, the, uh, those who um, convince themselves that this thing that they really want to do, and they, they work so hard to convince themselves that God's okay with it, um, they've already lost. They've already defeated themselves in the whole exercise because they're not seeking the will of God at all. They're seeking to justify what they want to do in the first place and trying to find a way to make the Bible say what they know it doesn't say. And, and sadly... That's our, that's our culture right there in a nutshell with, uh, with every uh, controversy that seems to be going on right now. All right. So, assuming then that we've got those six steps out of the way. We're saved, we're growing, we're operating in a local church, uh, all these things. Uh, we have a, a normal Christian walk. We're consistent in these things. Then, 
um, an open door presents itself. There's something that's set before us, okay? Uh, maybe there's a, a girl we're liking a lot and we're thinking about marriage, or there's a, um, a, there's a job offer in another town, or there's a missionary opportunity, and, and there's whatever it might be, then there is a legitimate place to stop and ask the Lord and say, all right, Lord, um, I need wisdom. I need to know your specific will. I absolutely need to know your specific will because this, uh, this, is, a, this is a huge moment. This is a calling, right, in, uh, in these applications. So how do I go about doing that? In the Old Testament, they would inquire of the Lord. They would go to a prophet or a priest. They would inquire of the Lord. Well, guess what? We don't need that. We're in the church age. We're in the body of Christ. And we have resources available that are far beyond anything they even dreamed of in the Old Testament, including the mind of Christ, including the body of Christ, including one another and the privileges that we have there. So um, this, uh, I did not invent this list. These are five steps, and I think I took them from Walford, I think. I, I, I stole this so long I gotta remember um, who I stole it from. But I've I've used it for years. I might have even did I take this from Grace Notes? Is this in Grace Notes? I I stole this so long ago. Um, but they're 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 useful, all right, in, in five simple points. First of all, study to show yourself approved. And you say, Well, I'm already studying from the previous paragraph. Study harder. <laughs> study more. It doesn't hurt to study more. It doesn't hurt to engage in a concentrated se- uh, season of a fervent study, okay? And, and you'd be amazed when that fervent study coincides with prayer and coincides with uh, the, these inner deliberations. Um, the Holy Spirit has a beautiful way to coordinate these things or to coincide these things. I don't believe in coincidence, but I do believe things coincide. <laughs> you get what I'm talking about? So, if at the moment I'm wrestling over this, I'm wrestling over this, and then in a class I would have been in anyway, something gets mentioned and something gets emphasized and something hits me out of a Bible study, that can be powerful at that moment. That can really speak to me at that time and say, well, you know what? That, that so correlates with what I've already been wrestling with, what I've already been thinking about. And then, you know, why, why did the Holy Spirit emphasize that on this particular morning, for example? So study to show yourself approved. And this is for all of us. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent. Okay, Spudazzo is the imperative. And that, that means it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. You're not just going to coast through life and, and just have stuff handed to you on a silver platter. You've got to be studying and working and diligent. Uh, my childhood pastor would render this, be studiously eager. Be diligent to present yourself approved. To present yourself docimazzo. That, that the same docimazo in Romans 12, all right, approved to God as a workman, meaning you're not just a, a student, you're not just a learner, you're a workman. You're telling the Lord, Lord, teach me because I'm putting this into practice. I'm living this out. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, that is cutting straight through the ortho tomao, cutting straight uh, the word of truth. And I like that. You have a straight cut. You just uh, something I could never do in woodshop, but make a straight cut, all right? And on that straight cut, what are you left with? You're left with a dividing line and whatever falls on whatever side, right? Let the chips fall where they may. And so you make that straight cut and then there it is. And you lay it out there. Is it this or is it this? All right? And so often 
on that basis, the 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 yes, no, the plus, minus, the I mean, the either or, um, black and white decision making issues become clear. I, I mean, to me, it's, it's some of the easiest things in the world to consider, but um, I think the world has confused things because they they try to paint with nuance and tell you, oh, you're too black and white, you're too absolute, you're too either or. Uh, they try to paint with more of a nuance or more of a fuzziness. And and Scripture doesn't let us do that. Not at all. Scripture is full of either ors. And I believe the Christian life mimics that. So study to show yourself approved. Be under teaching. Uh, Secondly, then consult the wisdom of elders. And for this, we've got a couple of Old Testament passages as well as uh, the book of Acts. Um, But in Exodus 18, 19, Now listen to me, I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. So we should find counsel. We should seek the counsel of our elders. We should seek for wisdom. And if there's, uh, oh, here we go. I finally figured out why it does that. Now I can scroll. So here's Moses' father-in-law, okay? And what's wrong with going to him, right? He's got wisdom. And... uh, in fact, the more I, I consider Jethro, I'm thinking, man, I'm looking forward to meeting this man someday. This uh, marvelous priest of Midian, this marvelous man of wisdom, and, and uh, what God did with this Gentile man I think is extraordinary. We may even find out that he was the source uh, material for the book of Job, that, uh, that he provided it to Moses, who was able to add it to the Scripture and uh, include that in the Hebrew text of the, of the Old Testament canon. Anyway, we want to consult the wisdom of our elders. Proverbs 1.5 A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Sometimes the, the, the best wisdom you can come up with is, I don't have this wisdom, I've got to go find someone who does. <laughs> and it's, it's a mark of humility to say, I've got to go get that wisdom because I don't have it right now. And consult the wisdom of elders. But at the same time, that's not the final step, and that's not the last word on the matter. And, and sometimes the elders will be wrong. Okay? We have examples of that in the Scriptures. In Psalm 119, for example, the elders of, of his day, they were mocking him. The author of Psalm 119 and his devotion to the Lord, the elders were a part of the problem in, in that young man's life. So we want to be... Uh, we want to accept their wisdom, but likewise uh, compare it to the Word of God, take it with a grain of salt... And uh, add it to the mix of the considerations, but don't, uh, don't be enslaved to it, we might say. Here's uh, the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, getting wisdom from Philip. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? He's reading Isaiah 53, and he wants to know, what's this about? The prophet he's writing, is he writing this about himself, or is he writing about somebody else? And so Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. What a what a um, equipping! I mean, Philip was 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 ready, and, uh, and we're going to look at this as a pattern in um, in our uh, gifts, ministries, and effects class. Uh, Philip is is a huge example for us because he started out as a deacon, he ends up as an evangelist. He's got four uh, prophetess daughters. He's an amazing New Testament character, and. Um, and he's ready to launch into a gospel presentation, and he launches into it from, uh, from the text that this guy was, right? He was right there in Isaiah 53. Now, 
Admittedly, that's a pretty easy text to launch into a description of Jesus, but what if the eunuch was reading from a different chapter? What if he'd been reading from, you know, Proverbs 6, you know, or just pick a chapter? You know, are we familiar enough with the Word of God whereby wherever it is this person's reading from, we can uh, say, all right, well, let's start with that then and go with where they are and take them to Jesus. That's a, well, there's a talent, okay? And Philip had the facility to, uh, to do that. Uh, likewise, in chapter 18, Apollos needed some wisdom. He needed some correction. And we talked about this a couple times already in the last week or so, uh, related to Apollos, because he had heard, he had caught echoed, he had been told, right? Not formal didasco teaching, but he'd heard about the way of the Lord. And, uh, but he didn't understand certain things. And Priscilla and Aquila had to take him aside and straighten certain things out. You get counsel from, from the people who have that counsel. And that's, uh, that's a blessing as well. Uh, the worst thing you can do, though, is, is, is shut people out and don't bring it up and don't include them in your prayers because if nothing else, if nothing else, when you're going to older believers and you're asking them for this kind of guidance, if nothing else, you get them praying for you. You get them loving you and supporting you and, and all these things. And even if they give you kind of the, the dumbest advice you've heard in weeks, it's still um, a blessing to share the, the, the ministry with them and let them pray over it. Let them join you in that endeavor. All right? And, and to me as a pastor, one of the saddest things that ever happens, and it's happened, if it's happened once, it's happened 100,000 times in 20 years, is uh, someone comes to me and says, oh, pastor, um, I've decided to do something. I've been praying about it for a long, long time. And, oh, really? It's the first I heard about it. Okay? News flashed to me. Um, that it just never got brought up in the last uh, 600 prayer meetings I've been to. But, okay, um, let's, let's, what have you decided to do? All right? And let's take it from here, because clearly your mind's made up. How can I, how can I, uh, how can I pray over this now? So, consulting the wisdom of elders is, uh, is useful. Um, ask the Father in prayer. And this, uh, you say, well, why, isn't this, why doesn't this come earlier? I, I think the order is interesting because if you include the elders prior to this, then you can be praying together. You can, you can join in that, in that prayer effort. Not to say that these, this is a strict order or anything, but I think it's useful. Get the elders involved. We see in James 5, the prayer of the elders is involved in, in these things. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. It will be given to him. What a promise, okay? Because obviously the will of God is a wisdom application. There's no question on that. Uh, I, I, I need to make a choice in the will of God and, and it requires wisdom. And Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. And, and, and so you ask. And here's the neat thing. God's not like hu- a human being. Uh, God is not going to be up there in heaven and say, well, you dummy, I already gave you that answer, right? That's reproach, okay? He answers without reproach. There's no reproach. And, and likewise, you go to him in prayer, he doesn't say, well, finally, you should have been praying about this two years ago, and you finally, you're just now getting around to prayer, huh? Okay, that's reproach. Now, you and I might be tempted to do something like that with our children or our family or whoever, but um, God never does. He gives to all generously and without reproach, liberally and without reproach. 
it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. We discussed this when we were talking about why prayer doesn't work. Well, because you're carnal, (laughs) right? If you're carnal, forget about praying. All God wants to hear is your confession. Likewise, if you're praying with a doubt, that's an insult. You're going to the Father and saying, well, Lord, I I know you you probably can't do anything about this, but if uh, somehow you find some way to solve my problem here, I'd kind of appreciate it. You know, what an insulting prayer. What an ugly prayer. Um, or, or going to him and doubting that, that he either can do anything or wants to do anything, or maybe you know, you're praying as if God's clueless. Say, well, God, I know you've been ignoring me all this time, and you, uh, you don't seem to know the, the test I'm going through right now, Lord, but um, yeah, what an insulting prayer. Okay, What an unstable and instable believer at that point being reflected in those prayers. He must ask in faith without doubting. Because uh, the doubting is is uh, a horrible thing. For that man ought, verse 7, that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James 1, I think, has a lot to say about this. Likewise, uh, James 3, wisdom from above, wisdom from below. We're seeking the wisdom from above. We're going to the Father in prayer. Proverbs 2, in all your ways acknowledge Him, right? Um, if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, seek her as silver, search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So that goes well with uh, point one, studying to show yourself approved. All right. Any questions on any of this? Am I going too quickly? All right. Consider carefully providential circumstances and evaluate them according to biblical understanding of God's will. Now notice, this is way down the list. This is not step number one. All right, step number one. Because the will of God is not a game. It's not a, it's not a gimmick. It's not a, you know, I've heard of methods, I've read methods where people just close their Bibles and they just kind of open to a random Bible and boom, here's the will of God. Joshua made them take an oath at that time. You know, and, and that's going to have meaning in my life. Well, what is that? Okay, uh, it's like shaking those eight balls or, or uh, some other gimmick of, of of things. But consider carefully providential circumstances and evaluate them according to biblical understanding of God's will. And there's a reason why God has crafted the conditions that you find yourself in. You say, "Well, gee, all of this is going on right now. Why is that?" Why has God brought these people here? Why are these things happening now? What, is, what am I going to learn in this process? And so I'm trying to evaluate these circumstances, knowing that He's the God of the circumstances. Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? <laughs> hey, look, I'm in the circumstance of being nearby some water here, and you just gave me the gospel, and I just believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and wouldn't this seem to be a great time to go ahead and, and, and uh, get baptized right now, Right? And, uh, well, there you go. You're looking at the circumstances, and it seems to be an opportune time. And uh, if you want some more on that, it's going to be coming up very quickly in, in Galatians. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And the whole uh, identification of opportunity becomes a, uh, a great blessing for us in the body of Christ. So stay tuned for that in some upcoming studies. Um, Acts eleven eleven. Behold, at that moment three men appeared in the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Well, what do you know? Well, perfect timing. 
What a coincidence, okay? Again, it's not an accident. These things coincide because the, the sovereign God of the universe is directing these, uh, these circumstances. And so if, if, uh, if you've been praying for um, a new building, if you've been praying for uh, the, the building you're outgrowing and considering a new building you'll have to either move into or purchase or build, and then God sends you an architect to become a part of your church, you might just say, wow, thank you, Lord. Um, that seems to be a divine provision. All right. And uh, then you get the building built and uh, the city adds a whole bunch of environmental fees and you find that your drainage pond across the way is a, is a money pit. And the city uh, has you now in all this debt that you weren't expecting. Um, and then $600,000 shows up in the mailbox from an anonymous donor, uh, you might say, wow, um, I guess it's the will of God to pay off our debt and let's, uh, let's pay this building off, right? You, I mean, we evaluate the circumstances based upon everything else that's been going along right in, right in the course, okay? And so it's, it's, just, a, it's just a no-brainer. It's just the, the duh moment. That, well, what else would we do? Um, yeah, there's water here. Let's, let's get you baptized. Um, you know, hey, $600,000 showed up in the mail. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's pay off that debt. Let's, uh, let's get out of debt and, and, and do that. Okay, true story. Absolute true story. So um, consider the providential circumstances. Second uh, Kings 7, verses 8 and 9. <laughs> and, oh, here's a funny story. This makes me laugh every time I read this chapter. These lepers... They're, they're, they're kind of outcast from the town, and while they're outside the walls, they realize we're, we're in a bad spot, okay? Because this army's going to attack in the morning, and you talk about being between a hammer and an anvil, right? I mean, you're just, you're between a rock and a hard place. And, and, and so here's these lepers outside the town waiting for the army to come crush them as they come crush the town. And uh, anyway, they, they find, this night, they find that the camp is empty, the invading army has fled. They're gone. And they left the tents behind. They left all this stuff behind. And so what do you do? I mean, man, you, you, you entered a tent, you eat, you drink, you carry their silver and gold and clothes, and you went and you hid them. You come back to get more, okay? Uh, you return to another tent, you go get more, all right? And then you're thinking, wow, man, we're living the good life. Until it dawns on them, this isn't an accident. Something's, something's happening here. We, we should do something. And so they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we are keeping silent. You know, they've got an opportunity to preach good news. They can go into that city where they're considered outcasts, lepers, outcasts, unclean. They get to go preach good news of a deliverance, of a salvation. And not just plunder for their own, their own uh, whatever. And so if we this is a day of good news, if, and we're keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, let's go and tell the king's household. So they're going to go and, and file a report. They're going to they're going to share the good news and let the authorities know of the uh, the hand of God's deliverance. Okay, this story was almost. I could say this was written. Uh, I wish I would have known this story when I was ten years old, because my friend and I were playing in the woods next to the schoolyard. And uh, we came across a box of um, popsicles, uh, fudgesicles, ice cream. And uh, it was a box of ice cream. And I think there were six in the box, if I remember right. 
because we try to do the math. Um, I had three siblings. My buddy had two siblings. That made seven of us all together. And there were only six ice cream uh, fudge circles. And um, I thought, well, that doesn't work. So do we take them to your house? Because you have fewer siblings. Do we take them to my house? And then finally, we just did the smart thing. And we said, well, that's just three each. Let's eat them right here. <laughs> and so Rick and I, we ate six fudge circles in the woods. And, and never did it dawn on us. Why are they there? What, what, are, the, what are the fudge sickles doing in the woods? <laughs> you know, they were still cold. They were still, I mean, they hadn't melted or anything on an afternoon. And um, anyway, we just, and I didn't know this story from Second Kings chapter 7. So uh, we, we ate the fudge sickles and then um, thought this is a great day. You know, went home, he went to his house, I went to my house and uh, we kind of ruined our dinner, but we went home. And the next thing we know, the police are at the door. And we learned um, that there had been a break-in at the school and that someone had broken into the school kitchen and had, had guess what they stole? They, they had taken um, ice cream. They had taken a lot of things out of the school freezer and just happened to drop one of the boxes in their getaway and we happened to find some of the, the getaway boxes. And so we were, we were in trouble, <laughs> all right? The beginning of my criminal career right there at the age of 10. And um, anyway, that's uh, my personal illustration of, of this chapter because I did not go to the report the, uh, the good news. <laughs> All right. Um, a police officer believed we were, we were innocent, though, and uh, my buddy Rick and I, we, our stories corroborated one another, and, and plus we were crying and, and we felt really bad. <laughs> and, um, and honestly, I, I did not... My, my best rescue... My best rescue was I did not know what a crowbar was. I, was I, could not, I could not identify a picture of a crowbar and tell them it was a crowbar. And because of my complete ignorance of all things related to tools, I didn't know what a crowbar was. And so the police officer accepted my ignorance and my innocence. And, uh, and I've tried to maintain that through all these years in uh, tool ignorance. <laughs> okay. So... Providential circumstances. Why is this here, right here, right now? Okay? And um, in different aspects. And, and honestly, this is, this is something that um, we all do and we all should do in different ways. It's a huge feature. Uh, my son is, is using this very example. I wish he was here tonight. The, um, the fact that he lived two years in Ukraine, the fact that he became fluent in Russian, the fact that his wife is fluent in Russian... Uh, these are considerations for doors of ministry that may be open to them, all right, and, and that there may be ministry available to them in Ukraine or in Siberia or in, in other places where their, their Russian language skills may be put to use uh, in, in, that's a, in a consideration, just considering the, uh, the circumstances and evaluating accordingly. For Samuel, but ah, see, here's the thing too. The circumstances may look like one thing, but it's totally the other way. And that's why you've got to have discernment in the will of God. Because another chapter that makes me laugh is 1 Samuel 24. When of all the caves in all of Israel that King Saul could have gone into to use the bathroom, he picks the cave that has David and all his men hiding in there. <laughs> okay? 
you know, he could have picked, he could have picked any cave on the planet to go and, and take care of business. And, and, and the, what's the cave that he picks? He picks the cave where David and all of his soldiers are hiding. And so he goes in there. And he literally, not metaphorically, he literally is caught with his pants down. And David's men are just convinced, this is great. This is great. This is like my buddy and I finding the ice cream. Man, this is great. Here's Saul. He's in the cave. His soldiers are out there. We got him. So the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand. You shall do to him as seems good to you. And so David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. But it came about afterward that his conscience bothered him. Even that bothered him for lifting his hand against the Lord's anointed. I believe his men were misapplying the prophecy, misapplying the promise. Saul was not David's enemy. Saul made himself David's enemy, but he was not David's enemy. He was the anointed king of Israel. And uh, David knew he would be the next king, but he left it in the Lord's hands to make that happen or not make that happen. So he said to his men, far be it from me because the Lord of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, Saul, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. So he persuaded his men with these words. Did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So Saul left the cave and went on his way. And then David was able to come out with the edge of the robe and say, hey, look here, buddy. <laughs> see what I did, and you know what I could have done, but I didn't do it. It was, a, it was evidence of his, of his innocence in that regard. Finally, uh, examine your heart motivation. And this, uh, this can also mislead you, so it's very low on the list, but it is a factor. Uh, David wanted to build a, a temple. He goes to Nathan the prophet he says, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. As a general rule of thumb, if you follow those first four steps, and you just have an idea one day and say, you know, I'd like to do this. You know, it's just, it's in my heart. You know, I think this is something I'd like to do as a ministry or as a gift or as an effect or just as a, as, a, as a blessing to a fellow believer. And if it's laid on your heart, well, seems like it's a good idea, why not? And as Nathan says, go. Do all that is in your mind for the Lord is with you. All right? Now here's, a, here's the good thing about this is that even if you're wrong, you're still okay for the desire. You just don't have sufficient information to know why, why it's wrong. And so the Lord comes to Nathan and says, no, don't let David do that. Um, You're not the one to build me a house. Your son's going to do that. It's in his generation. You're a man of war. He's going to be a man of peace. And and, and this is is just a a beautiful thing. David responds in a beautiful way. He worships. He, um, in verse 18, he says, Who am I, O Lord, and and what is my house that you have brought me this far? He has a, a celebration for being told no. Isn't that great? He's told no. Great idea. It was a good idea that you wanted to do this. In fact, later in 1 Kings, it specifically spells that out. Solomon said, my, my father wanted to do this. But God said no, and it was still it was a good idea that he wanted to do. Anyway, so we have heart motivation. Uh, 1 John 5.15, we have the request which we have asked from him. 
If we, First John 5.15, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. More often than not, if we're following all these steps, if we're in his will, then the reason why those things are laid on our hearts is because God put them there. There's a reason why you've had this idea. There's a reason why you can't shake it or let it go. There's a reason why God keeps bringing this person to your thinking. It may be that he's leading you in this regard. We have the request which we have asked from him. We have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. So examine your heart motivation. Examine your heart motivation. Okay, Don't do that up front. Make sure that's step number five. <laughs> Make sure all those other things are in place first. See, I think too many people just shove that up to the top and they ignore everything else. And just, you know, follow your dreams, follow your heart. Okay. Oh, man. No. Uh, make sure that's step five. And uh, you're in the Word of God. Okay. Any questions on that? Questions, comments, criticisms, thoughts, contributions? All right. Well then, in our ten remaining minutes, we'll get an introduction to the struggle. Okay? And we'll get as far as we get in ten minutes worth, and then we'll come back to this next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. Agonology. Agony. The Greek is agonizomai. Um, it's the idea of conflict. It's the idea of either a military conflict or quite frequently it's involved in athletic competition. It's involved in, in the uh, agony of, um, of athletics, okay? Like uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat from those old uh, ABC wide world of sports shows all those years ago. The doctrine of the struggle. It's a study of the believer's daily struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we should be in this kind of a struggle. Um, if we're not, there's a problem. And I think uh, on, a, on a maturity basis, um, there is a, is a mindset in certain uh, segments of, of Christendom whereby uh, they, they define maturity and growth as an absence of struggle. Uh, and that you, you want to avoid all this at all costs. You want to have kind of a tranquility. And they, they really turn tranquility into, a, into an idol. And you end up with a tranquility lust in some respects, just craving uh, the the uh, the craving the the no conflict and the no drama uh, ministry. Well, that's not normal ministry. In this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise, and and too many people are working so hard to thwart that promise of Jesus Christ because they don't want any tribulation. They don't want any conflict. They want any struggle. Just want to have a real placid. They want to enter into the millennium now somehow. And, and, and they're misguided there too because I think the millennium is full of all kinds of conflict. Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron and there's going to be a ferocious judgment morning by morning for a thousand years. But that's a different message. A study of the believer's daily struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the new believer must be immediately oriented to the battlefield conditions of the angelic conflict. And uh, some folks don't like this being in basics. They would prefer that you take angelic conflict and move it to intermediate or advanced doctrinal studies. But um, I've been pretty insistent on this over the years. I don't, I don't see any problems with why it can't be a part of basics. Um, and in my mind, if a brand new believer on the day one of his salvation is ushered into this conflict, then he, he really needs the information to deal with it. He needs to know why it is that all of a sudden the, the world he used to be a part of now hates him. 
Why is it now that, that uh, his former buddies are now uh, treating him like, uh, like the enemy? Because he is the enemy in, from their perspective. And this becomes important as well. The youngest and weakest of any species is the most vulnerable to hostile predators. <laughs> I mean, do you watch the same shows I do on National Geographic or Discovery or some of those? I mean, occasionally you can just you can get in trouble if you're just flipping channels and you spot something and then, man, the next half hour you're watching, you're watching um, wildebeests get eaten or some kind of a... You know, I mean, it could be anything. In the plains of Africa, or sharks, oh, Shark Week every year. I got to watch Shark Week every year, okay? I mean, that's, that's a highlight for me. And, and so you, you, you learn uh, about the, the, the world around us and, and how it is. It's the, it's the weak ones. It's the small ones. It's the young ones. You know, go pick off the, the run to the litter, and, and, and they, they make easy targets. Same thing with, with, the, with the angelic conflict. It's the, it's the young believers, the brand new believers that just got saved this week that haven't learned yet how to put their armor on, haven't learned yet how to claim the promises, haven't learned yet to walk by faith, haven't learned yet to take the Word of God and use it on a daily basis. And so they're, uh, they're easy pickings. So uh, with the praying enemies of Jesus Christ, it's P-R-E-Y, praying enemies of Jesus Christ, a baby believer without armor or weapons and the training to use them is a very attractive target. The world, the flesh, and the devil are hostile predators against born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Consequently, basic doctrinal studies needs to orient the babe in Christ to this struggle and begin equipping him to deal with it. And I think if we put it off for later studies, we actually do them a disservice. All right. Disciple is not above his master. Our Lord faced agony in his struggle. We must likewise do the same. I like to just lay this out there with folks who think that uh, they shouldn't have this kind of struggle. That the Christian walk, everything should be simple. Everything should be problem-free, should be just calm and, and all this. And it may be too, uh, you know, it might be useful to just find out who, who was it that, that led them to Christ and what did they tell them? What was the sales pitch they gave them? And, uh, you know, if they were told that just getting Jesus would make everything better, would make all the problems go away, and that, hey, all you got to do is just get saved, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have um, a perfect marriage, and you're going to have beautiful children, and you're going to have, uh, you know, all the money and everything. Your life just gets great as soon as, as, soon as you get saved. And, and sadly, if they were told that, or if they came to assume that, um, the reality is going to be a, a slap in the face. And they're going to realize, no, actually it, things just got worse. Because now I have all the, the I have the same problems of, of bios life everybody else has. Now on top of that, I've got the world, the flesh, and the devil that are, at, that are out after me. Okay? And I hope we're clear on that. First of all, the flesh, everybody has the flesh. Unbelievers have the flesh. Believers have the flesh. That, that doesn't change. But at least when before we're saved, the world and the devil... They're not attacking us, okay? The world and the devil don't have to attack their own, their unbelievers. They're already part of the system. They're on board. They don't become targets in the angelic conflict until they name the name of Christ. When they are transferred from the domain of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his beloved son, it is then that they become the focus of, of, of attack by the, by the adversary. So we'll come back to this next week. We'll study agony. 
We'll study the vocabulary. We'll talk about the different scriptures involved. But this whole thing about not being above our master in Luke 6.40, a pupil is not above his teacher. All right, Everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. I, I point to these kind of verses and I say, why do you think you're better than Jesus? <laughs> Just who do you think you are? You know, if he encountered conflict, if he endured the agonology of his life, why do I assume or presume that I'm somehow entitled to not face that? How do I rate when, when he didn't? Okay? And it, and it gets pretty pointed. It gets pretty um, um, direct. But Scripture makes that point, and, and, and I like making that point because it, it, it kind of wakes folks up to say, well, you know what? That's true. He had to struggle. And he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And the Father had a purpose in all that. And, and so you start to think these things through, and, and thankfully, as the Scripture supports everything we're talking about here, um, it, it, it serves to prepare that young believer for a lifetime of, of agonology that's in front of them, because the struggle doesn't end until we, uh, until we uh, you know, lay our burdens down <laughs> as we sing. Okay? All right. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your truth, for brothers and sisters that have come out, and, and I thank you for this study. Uh, we're looking forward to the remainder of what we have in agonology, Father, and bullology, to, to have a grasp of your plan from Alpha to Omega, to know not only your will, but your plan. And Father, uh, I thank you for these studies. I thank you for ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, for charismatology, the doctrine of spiritual gifts, and all of these categories of truth that equip every believer. And Father, it's a delight to go through them a second time, a third time, a hundredth time. Uh, Father, we can never uh, go through this enough. I thank you for being so faithful, Father. In Jesus Christ's name I do pray. Amen.